Word of the Lord today comes from Isaiah. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. The word of the Lord. Welcome to Advent. This is a season in the life of the church, and I hope you picked up on it, both in in the singing of Psalm 13 and in the reading of Isaiah 64. This is a season in the life of the church where we long, and we learn how to long. We learn how how to yearn for God. We do, uh, we do anticipate and we do look forward to celebrating the, the birth of Jesus and remembering the story, the wonderful story, but there's a significant aspect to this, this time in the church calendar where we, we, we remember the anticipation that was leading up to Christ's birth, and, and we experience and we give voice to the anticipation and the longing for Christ's return, when he will make all things new, when he will wipe away the tear from every eye, and when he will... Um, he will destroy death and sin and darkness finally, once and for all. But we're, we're not there yet, right? Uh, and so we long for that. We yearn for that. And Advent helps us practice that yearning, that longing. Um, these uh, wait, Waiting and patience, uh, these are also themes of Advent. And these are not themes that you're going to hear on the radio when you're listening to the Christmas station. We were driving the other day, and uh, along came on the radio Santa Baby. And my precocious four-year-old Amelia was like, Santa's not a baby. 
And we had to explain that no, baby is this like term of endearment. Apparently it's not one that we use. because <laughs> we, we have other terms of endearment, but baby's not one of them. Uh, yeah. But I was, I was so glad after the fact that that's all she took from that song, was just that Santa's not a baby. <laughs> Uh, the themes of the Christmas songs that you hear on the radio are not the themes of Advent. Advent actually can be a, a really great entry point, I think, for the gospel, for those who uh, are familiar with it and for those who are not familiar with it, because it highlights this sense that I think everyone has at some level, that things are not as they are supposed to be, that this world is not as it was meant to be, that something's wrong, something's off, something's broken. Advent says, yes, you're right about that. There is. Maybe it's personally, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to look out in the world and to say, yes, things are, things are not as they are supposed to be out there. It's also another thing to look inside, to look at our own lives and say, we, I, am not as I was meant to be. Maybe that's the ongoing sense of uh, you know, a persistent struggle with sin or, or patterns of behavior that you just can't seem to kick. Um, maybe it's a, a sickness or an illness, either physical or, or mental or otherwise, that just continues to, to cause you to struggle. Um, we have this sense, all of us, that things are not as they are supposed to be. And we long... That, that points to something in us, that, that longing points to, uh, to the sense that that's accurate, <laughs> that things are not as they are meant to be. So what do we do with these longings? What do we do with this, that sense that, that we have? Uh, C.S. Lewis says this, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Let me read that again. If we find within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. This is the season where we get to live in that, live in that tension of being made for a world that, uh, of, of God's shalom, but we're not there yet. Uh, Isaiah the prophet Isaiah, who Matt read earlier, is going to be our guide through these first three weeks of Advent. And Isaiah's language is full of longing uh, in, in his poems, in his prayers, in his prophecy. Um, th- this language of longing and yearning and hoping um, is, is a, a big part of, of what the, the beauty of Isaiah's language. Um, the opening line is just one of my favorite in all of Scripture. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Some other translations have it a little stronger even. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. If only you would tear apart the sky and come down. Intervene in this world, in this brokenness. Right? There's this longing for the, the removal of that barrier that separates God and humanity. A removal of this, those, those times when it feels like God is distant. Often in the times when we feel like we need God the most. It seems far off, and, and that cry is, uh, is one that I, I trust we've all experienced at some point. Oh, that you would just tear everything apart and come down and intervene. Isaiah goes on uh, to call 
call on God not just to come down, but to come down in a really dramatic way. The, the language here, this poetic imagery of uh, fire and boiling water and mountains that are shaking and crumbling and trembling, um, for Isaiah's readers would have conjured up a lot of images of God doing this around the Exodus, around freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, right? So there were these images of, of God uh, sending the plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, right? Really dramatic acts of God's protection for his people and, and, and bringing them out of slavery. Uh, parting the Red Sea, this dramatic act of, of you know, uh, God's hand over the natural elements of the world uh, so, that the Egypt, or so that the Israelites walked on dry ground. Uh, and in particular, I think it calls to mind this image of, of Moses on Mount Sinai, where God split the heavens and came down, met Moses face to face. The mountain shook, the earth trembled, he gave them the law, he made a covenant with them, he said, you will be my people and I will be your God. These are some of the, the memories that Isaiah and his readers would have had. This longing, Isaiah gives voice to this longing for a world that is better, a world that is more, a world where everything is put right. But then in the middle of verse 5, it takes a turn. And there's a recognition that perhaps Israel has actually played a part in the predicament they find themselves in. Perhaps they are actually somewhat responsible for the situation that gives rise to their longing, right? That things aren't as they should be. This question, I want to actually read this. Middle of verse 5 here, chapter 64. But when we continue to sin against your ways, you are angry. So how then can we be saved? What a great question. All of us have become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. There's a a bit of a self-reflection that happens here that perhaps all that is wrong with the world is not simply out there, but that it is also in here. Um, This language of our our righteous act, even our good good deeds, the things that we do uh, where we're we're being kind to others, we're, we're, we're serving others, we're being generous, even those to God are as filthy rags. And the language here... uh, you know, I would apologize for the strength of it, but it's the Bible, so what are you going to do? Um, the language here is meant to, um, to bring to mind um, menstrual rags and the, uh, the uncleanness, not only just the physical uncleanness of that, but in, in, uh, in Israel, that also made you ritually unclean. You couldn't participate in the community. It was um, Isaiah is borrowing that language, that image, to show just how our own righteous act, our own good deeds um, can't accomplish the things that we long for in this world, the things that we hope for. Our good deeds are insufficient to accomplish for us those those things that we long for. Only God, only God can fulfill those desires. I'm reminded of um, one of those, you don't don't have to have read a lot of Augustine before you've probably uh, heard this quote of, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, God. Even even our good deeds can't can't fulfill that restlessness that we feel, that longing. So then, there's a third turn in this passage. And the third turn is 
is an acknowledgement of God as our father, as the potter, and as the one who forgives our sins. So we've, Isaiah has taken us through this progression where we've given voice to our longings for a world that is new, a world that's made right, for God to intervene and make it happen already. Then we have to acknowledge our own part of the problem, right? Our own hand in the sin that is in us and that is in the world. And so then all we can do is, is to turn and submit and to acknowledge God as a good father, that that's where these longings ultimately are pointing us, where they're ultimately directing us, is to God as our father. And, well, God is our father and God is the one who forgives our sins, but, but there's this element, this image of a potter and us as the clay that I think to me speaks of the fact that our, our longings, though they point us to God, our longings also need to be shaped by God, right? Our longings need to be refined. They need to be uh, redeemed. And so there's this powerful yet that happens in verse 8, this but now, right? We, we've confessed our sin, but, but now we realize all that matters is the character of God as our Father, as the one who forgives our sins, and as the one who ultimately is shaping us, shaping us into his people. Israel uh, longed for God to restore them to be this nation that was powerful in the region. This, this uh, kind of, a, uh, oh, if only we could go back to when David was king, kind of a time. Like that's sort of the thought here that, uh, that Israel is always longing for this return to when David was king. That was, those were the glory days. Right? That's what they're longing for when they want God to break in and come and intervene. The disciples, jumping forward in the story a little bit, the disciples longed for Jesus to come and to what? To, to, to kick Rome out, to overthrow this occupying government force, to, to reestablish Israel as this powerful nation when David was king, like it used to be. And so what, what are the things that we long for? What are the longings that you sense within yourself do we long for a comfortable life life that is free from worry and trouble it's predictable we long for the american dream we long for our party to be in charge in washington and i think what we see as we see scripture unfolded beyond just this uh, this plea, this cry for longing, is we see God answer these longings, but in ways that we do not expect, in ways that, that, that shift our longings, ultimately, towards him, towards his presence in our lives. This is the, this is the scandal of the Christmas story, right? Uh, the Christmas story is God answering this longing to rend the heavens, to come down, um, but it doesn't quite look, at least on the surface, the way that Isaiah describes it with fire and thunder and earthquakes. It's a, it's a baby born in this backwoods town of Bethlehem. It's, a, it's the son of God washing the feet of his disciples. So our longings, ultimately, I hope, my prayer, is that our longings point us to God, that they drive us to God, but that in the process, we also hold them open-handed to him and, and say, we need you to shape us and shape these longings because we know that even though there's something in us that we trust you've put there, the, the 
you've heard of the, the God-shaped hole in our heart, right? That only God can fulfill. Uh, w- the reality is that we, we fill that with all kinds of things that aren't God-shaped. <laughs> we, we seek all kinds of things that would fulfill these longings that we have rather than letting, us, letting them drive us to him and then saying, God, would you shape my longings so that they are more and more a longing for you? This, this opening line, God, rend the heavens and come down. I've been mulling on that and, and thinking about the way that we can actually tell Jesus' whole story through these different moments when God tore open the heavens and came down. Certainly the incarnation, the birth of Christ, is one of those, right? Uh, some of that imagery we get in the angels descending and announcing this to the shepherds, but the incarnation, God tearing open the heavens, tearing open that which divided humanity and God and in putting his life in the womb of a virgin. But then Jesus grows up and uh, he goes to be baptized by John the Baptist, which John the Baptist has enough sense to say, this is kind of off. You probably should be the one baptizing me. But Jesus, in humility, says, no, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. And in his obedience to the Father, God rends the heavens And the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and people hear his voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the cross, at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain in the temple was rent, torn, top to bottom. That thing that had divided the the presence of God in the Holy of Holies from God's people was ripped into, and God's presence was on the loose in and amongst the people. Then there's Jesus' ascension, uh, where he ascends to the clouds, and the the angels appear, and they say, go and do the things he's told you to do. Go be his witnesses, and know that he is going to return in the same way that he ascended. He's going to yet again rend the heavens and come down and intervene. And what's amazing, then, is uh, just a couple chapters later, as the disciples are praying in the upper room, God again rends the heavens and sends the Holy Spirit to descend on them. And so in many ways, though we still, of course, of course we long for the day when God will make all things new, the other reality is that God has continued to rend the heavens. He's continued to to break apart the sky and to fill each of us here, to fill his church with the Holy Spirit, with his living, powerful, active presence so that as we go and live and move and do our work and come together every week for worship and grow in our faith and raise kids and love our neighbors, as we do these things, we do it as the people that God has filled with his spirit, that God has answered this longing to a certain degree through his church. So this season of Advent... I hope we can uh, rejoice in that reality. It's, it's a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. But also uh, that we can continue to, to give, give voice and, um, and embrace the longing for God to ultimately come and make all things right. That's a tension we have to live in. I have no easy answers for how to reconcile that tension. That is just part of what it is to be a Christian, is to live in the midst of that. So as you think about the things that you long for, as you pay attention to those longings, 
Um, let them drive you to God. Let them drive you to prayer. Let them drive you to, to hold them openly and let God shape them. That ultimately the things we long for would be the things that are of God. That they would be his, his peace, his justice, whatever that looks like lived out in our lives. I want to lead us in a time of prayer, and I want to give some space just to be reflective on this and to ask yourself, to ask God to reveal to you what, what are those things that you're longing for? And how might God shape those this Advent season? So let's come to the Lord in prayer. God of justice and peace. From the heavens, you rain down your mercy and your kindness on us. That all the earth may stand in awe and wonder before your marvelous deeds, your marvelous work. Would you raise our heads in expectation, in hope, that we may yearn and long for the coming day of the Lord. And in your grace, that we could stand without blame before your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. God, as we seek you in the most unlikely of places, in a stable, in a manger in a stable, in an empty tomb, would you hear our prayers that come from all the various corners of our own lives? Prayers for healing. Prayers for your provision. Prayers for peace and shalom for this world that just seems to thrive on violence and conflict. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, God, that we would know your presence in our midst during this Advent season of joy, of of waiting, of anticipation, of longing, of hope. And continue to grow our longing for that day when you will come, Jesus, to make all things new. creator of the world. You are the potter and we are the clay. So form us in your image. Shape our spirits by Christ's transforming power that as your church, we may live out your compassion and justice, whole and sound, here on earth. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus who taught his church to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.